0: We are on a uh, a series entitled "Walking Worthy of the Lord." Um, if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Thessalonians one. I'll get there in just a minute. Um, it was brought to my attention that this is Christmas Sunday, and you're supposed to do a Christmas message. Whoops! <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't, I just don't do that. So anyway, we're going to keep on our series. <laughs> we're going to preach about walking worthy of the Lord and we're going to talk about sufferings. Amen. It's a good holiday message. But not to be outdone by the time that I spoke on the day of the Lord and the wrath of God on Mother's Day. That was probably <laughs> my most epic holiday message. Anyway, so walking worthy of the Lord, we're going to stay with our series um I want to just go back and recap a little bit of why we're even talking about this. You know, when I was in China in November, uh, I was just, again, obviously touched with the church there, just really impressed by the Chinese believers and the, the lifestyle that they live, many of them. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I just thought to myself, they, they live a life that's worthy of Christ. They live a, a New Testament style Christianity that's worthy of the Lord. And and that phrase just was hanging in my mind, and it was uh, from the scripture. And I just thought, you know what? I want to study what the scripture says about walking worthy of the Lord. And and when I began to just lean into it a bit and just read all the verses in the New Testament about walking worthy of the gospel, or walking worthy of the calling, or walking worthy of the Lord Jesus, I, I realized what most of those scriptures were talking about wasn't things that I would immediately. Say you know if you said what are the issues that that you know go into walking worthy of the Lord? What are the virtues that are a life that's walking worthy of the Lord? When I read through the verses, I thought I probably wouldn't have put most of these on the list. The the one that was obvious to me was humility. I thought, okay, of course you got to be humble. But then the the direction that the Bible took that phrase for me was completely different than you know, beside the humility issue than what I probably would have filled in on a test. And I thought, you know, that's that's a pretty big deal. And so um, as, I, as I got into it more, I thought, you know, I just want to take uh, a month and just talk about what this means. Living a lifestyle that's worthy, that's pleasing uh, to the Lord, a, a walk that's worthy of the Lord. And so, uh, you know, we, we looked at Ephesians 4, And just worked through where Paul, right there, he lists out five virtues. He talks about humility. He talks about gentleness, which we talked about last week. And uh, he talks about patience and bearing with one another in order to be diligent to preserve unity. And this issue of walking worthy, having humility, gentleness, bearing with one another, and the issue of unity in the church as a a critical point to walking worthy of the Lord. And I was surprised at how often the issue of unity is emphasized in the New Testament. And it's not a little just, you know, kumbaya kind of unity. It's be of the same mind and of the same mouth. And and at at times Paul would say, I want everybody to say the same thing. I mean, just real intense, you know, singleness of heart amongst the church. I thought, wow, that's, that's way different than what we see pretty much in the church in in America. And uh, and so that's why we emphasize these things. Well, today, I want to go to another scripture that has this phrase, walking worthy in it, and it identifies the issue of suffering as a key component to living a lifestyle that's worthy of the Lord. Now, I know that, suffering isn't doesn't tend to be the you know the the main message that that we like to hear about and and uh doesn't tend to be the one that kind of gets everybody excited uh it doesn't actually tend to be preached to be quite honest not in america anyway um we like messages on blessing and and, you know, stuff to make you feel good. And so you see a negative, what we would assume, assume is a negative idea, like a suffering. We go, ah, stay away from that. But it's amazing to me how often these types of subjects are emphasized in the Bible. And that's, what it's, that's just where the rubber has to meet the road for us. Are we going to be biblical? Are we going to be Christians that allow the scripture to stand over us and tell us what the values of the kingdom are, what the uh, prescribed lifestyle is? Or are we going to just sort of, you know, take the label Christian and then sort of mix a bunch of sort of Western ideas and, and just sort of come up with something that sounds Christian but really is a message that, that kind of makes us feel good all the time? And and I'm just committed to not do that. I want to preach the word. I want the word to tell me and instruct me and and prick my heart and convict me. And I'll tell you what. Half the time I stand up here and I'm, um, you know, teaching and preaching what the, the Lord's showing me, and I am completely convicted by what I'm saying. And so it's just uh, this is this is the the version I want to live. I want to live the version of Christianity that has. Uh, as, as much as we can get it, the, the authentic truths that the, that the early church believed. And so I, I want to go there. I want to go after that. I want to go after reality and God, the real stuff in the kingdom, and not some westernized version. And that's why I'm going to preach this message on suffering two days before Christmas. Because I just don't care about, I care about the incarnation. I don't care about American Christmas. I care about the Bible, and I care about Jesus. Amen. And so that's where we're going. So. Ugh. All right, here we go. That's kind of how I feel. 2 Thessalonians 1. Let's look at this. I, I love this verse, these verses. Uh, Paul does us a favor here, and, and he, with these verses, he straightens out so many details of our life. I'll, I'll, I'll explain that to you in a minute, but honestly, the concept that he gives us right here in 2 Thessalonians 1 it brings so many things into clarity. It's, it's, it's that style. It's a defining uh, truth of life and of the kingdom. It's that style of, of a passage. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Paul commending the Thessalonians. Here's what he says. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Oh, I love that. He goes, you've got big faith and you've got big love. He goes, and it's so impressive that we should stay in a mode of constantly thanking God for your example. Your faith is growing Your love for one another is exemplary. It's big love. He goes, and it's so impressive. I just want to thank God for it all the time. So when I see the apostle Paul emphasizing something like that, like the virtues of this church, they're full of faith, they're full of love, they're growing and growing and growing in it, and Paul is taking pause and saying, this is impressive, I wanna thank God for your example all the time, then what I do is I go, how'd they get there? I wanna stop, sit back for a minute, slow it down and go, now how did they get to this place of huge faith and huge love? Because I want that. I want huge faith and huge love. So, how did they get there? Let's begin to look at it. Verse 4 Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you, because I'm boasting about you. We speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. How did they get to big faith and big love? going through persecutions and afflictions. You see it, right? He goes, your faith is growing, your love is growing, and I thank God for that, and I'm bragging about you to the other churches because of your perseverance, your faith through all the afflictions, and persecutions that you're enduring. They got to big faith and big love through trials and tribulations, folks. It just makes me wonder. Can you get an apostolic faith and an apostolic love? What I mean is the kind that the apostles practiced, the kind that the first church lived, can you get there without going through some stuff? But it seems like we like messages that get us there without any trials. Come on. (laughs) Right? We like the message that gets us blessed, gets a hand laid on us, gets us the impartation of great faith and great love, and there it is. Bam, got it. Without any of the hard work. Don't take me through the fire. Just give me the fire. I'm just, this is real, real life today. And we just don't even have a palette for the idea that if you want growing faith, apostolic faith, a faith that causes even the Apostle Paul to say, whoa, if you want a faith like that, you're going to have to go through some things. It might cost you some comfort. Come on. It might cost you some comfort. It might cost you some friends. People might take a stitch or two out of your backside. That's just a southern way of saying it. they just be tough on you. Take a stitch out of your butt. That's the anyway. All right. <clears throat> you know what I mean. Persecutions and afflictions. You got great faith and great love because you're enduring persecutions and afflictions. Man, I want great faith and great love. I do. Do I want it bad enough to go through the kingdom process to get me there? Got asked that question. Because we have all sorts of mechanisms available to us in America by which we can insulate ourselves from any challenges. We can just sort of check out of reality and go check into fantasy world and just sort of, you know, create margin between us and anything difficult because of the amount of wealth that's available in our country. And I know we're coming through recession and stuff like that, but we don't really understand poverty, tr- tribulation. We, we don't understand what many people in the rest of the earth experience because we are so insulated. We are so insulated. And so what we tend to do is we check out into sort of this fantasy world of just, you know, comfort. And, and sure, we love Jesus, but we imagine that we can just sort of go through life unscathed, untested, untried, and somehow grow into having great faith and great love. And I just, the biblical testimony, it, it doesn't give us that. The biblical testimony is through many afflictions and trials, we enter the kingdom. The biblical testimony is you go through challenges, trials, pressures, afflictions, persecutions, and through that, the testing of your faith becomes more precious than silver and gold because it's tried by fire, and it's revealed when Jesus is revealed. The truth of the purity of your faith because of fire that came on your life is revealed when the Lord Jesus is revealed. In other words, the the maturity that that comes through trials and hanging on will be shown at the end. The value of it will be shown at the end. And that's what Paul is commending here. He's commending the fact that the Thessalonian believers have been hanging in there, perseverant, believing, enduring, even through persecution and affliction. He, He... he differentiates it. Persecution, I'll just give it to you quick. Persecution is, we know what that is. That's when somebody comes against you for the cause of Christ. Somebody speaks against you or, or does something physical to you. Persecution for the cause of Christ. For the cause of Christ. Not for the cause of Whatever. Sometimes, you know, Christians just get a little bit bold and arrogant. It's beyond boldness. They get arrogant. And they go and they stick their neck out and they say stuff they shouldn't do with this haughtiness that lacks gentleness and humility. And they get hit because of it. And they go, I'm getting persecuted. And I go, well, no, you're, you're kind of being dumb. And you're getting beat up because you're being dumb. And you're not showing what the character of Christ is like. You're not getting hit because of Jesus. You're getting hit because you're not being godly. But there is persecution when you stand for Jesus, and it comes from a myriad of ways, all sorts of different avenues. You stand for Jesus, you can get you know, marginalized by friends and family, you can get directly spoken about, you can get lied about, there's all sorts of ways. One of the values of the, of the kingdom of God is being uh, is the blessing that comes through persecution. In, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus lays it out in the center on the mount. The blessing that comes through persecution when you carry your heart in humility and meekness and love, even though people are speaking against you and even lying about you. That's persecution. Well, affliction is a broader idea. It includes persecution, but it includes all sorts of stuff. Pressures, hardships, challenges, difficulties, Calamities, all sorts of negative challenges that come on the life of the individual because they've chosen to follow Jesus down the narrow path. So he goes, because of the persecutions and the afflictions that you're enduring, He goes, you're persevering through those two kinds of things. All these broad pressures and all those narrow attacks, he goes, there is something beautiful. There's an aroma of Christ coming out of you and you've got big love and big faith. Man, that's the kind of testimony I want. I I want that. You know, I mean, wouldn't you just love that testimony of your life? They look at you. At the end, they go, man, that guy. I know this, he loves Jesus and he loves people. He just loves. I mean, that guy, he believes. I mean, all hell could come against that guy, but man, he believes. I'm so encouraged when I see older saints, 75, 80 year old saints, and they're 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 passionate, fiery, maybe a little cantankerous, and they just you know they've been through a fight or two. They walk with a limp. They've gone through a thing or two, and nobody is going to take from them their relationship with Jesus. They just they just love God, and they persevered through so many challenges. I just see, I, when I see a saint like that, I just go, oh man, you're. You're such a beautiful trophy of the grace of God, what's available to humanity. If you'll keep saying yes, even through the, the valleys, even through the furnaces, even through all the afflictions, you just keep saying yes, look at you. And you know, they, they may not look like anything special. And our society doesn't tend to honor the elderly the way that we should. But man, 80 years old, a, 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 a brilliant, shining testimony of faithfulness to Christ for you know 60 years, beloved. That's beautiful, man. It, it, it touches my heart when I think about it. When I, and when I meet saints like that, I go, oh, I like you. I don't know anything about you, but oh, I love you. I mean, because they're a trophy of what's available in the grace of God. If you keep saying yes, you keep believing even when it's hard. And that's what Paul's commending. He commends perseverance. He commends faith. And he commends endurance. Endurance. I was um, excited when I looked up just in the online dictionary through Google. I looked up, so what's the definition of perseverance? Let me read this to you. This is right off of Google. Steadfastness in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success, continuance, in a state of grace leading finally to a state of glory. Shut up! I mean, that's awesome! Continuance in a state of grace leading finally to a state of glory. Come on! That's awesome! Perseverance. I'm hanging on to the grace of God. I'm continuing in His grace. Well, man, it looks like life is falling down around you. I am staying in the grace of God. His grace is sufficient. Well, it looks like everything is blowing up and all hell is coming against you. I am continuing in His grace. You know, it's become a little popular for people to say when things get challenging in life, maybe they're going a certain direction and the the pathway becomes difficult. And uh you know, maybe what God's called them to do becomes hard, and all of a sudden things get challenging and you go, "So man, how you doing?" They go, "Man, I feel like the grace is lifted." Beloved, <laughs> Just because it gets hard doesn't mean the grace is lifted. Just be, when it gets hard that means you've got to continue in grace. You by faith, Romans 5 says by faith you step into grace. You say, "You know what? I'm not letting go of what God said. I'm hanging in here. I know the pressure is on. I know the challenges are on. I am staying with what God said and I am going to step into his grace." Right now, because I cannot do this on my own. I humble myself before you, Lord. Release grace on, you, on me. Let me continue in grace until you bring me to a state of glory. Perseverance. Oh. I love that saying. says, you know, don't... When, you, when, you, when, you, when you're looking for a mentor or a leader, look for one with a limp. Because when they've gone through a thing or two, and they've persevered, they've continued in grace, then they've got something to say. Oh my God. I love this. Persever- he goes, I'm commending your perseverance, Thessalonians. I'm commending it. I, you, know, you know, in charismatic churches, we tend to celebrate the person that is the most explosive, the most on fire, the most exciting at the moment but radical christianity isn't about having a momentary emotional peak or uh, you know some kind of momentary explosion radical christianity is about staying faithful persevering in grace over the long haul that's radical the 50-year testimony of staying faithful to God, showing up day in, day out passionately in love, loving God, loving people, serving, laying your life down, 50 years continuously, continuously pursuing the 50 year that is so radical. We love to celebrate that Exciting testimony, and I, and I think we should I, I love all the testimonies of grace. I love the guy that was you know one minute he's totally down and out, he's like a total drug guy, and then the next minute he's totally delivered, set free and, and safe. but that's not the definition of radical. I mean it's a, it's a massive change, but let that guy walk it out for 25 years. Let us see it in year 10. When now nobody's impressed because nobody knows the story. Let us see it in the private place. Let us see it when the pressures of real life come on. Let us see radical Christianity walked out over the long haul. Beloved, that's the deal. I I, I want that. I want to be radical long term. I remember when I was in college and I was on campus. And uh, this guy, he, he he was actually a leader in the ministry that I was a part of. <clears throat> and I, I was out on campus and I was preaching the gospel like daily. I, w- I would go out with these, these campus evangelists and we just talk to people about Jesus and just go to dorm rooms and just get words of knowledge for people and, and just, just day in, day out. That's just what we did. I, I kind of skipped a few classes to do that. But anyway, so I, I, I was just making my heart move. And I remember I was talking to this football player and I was boldly challenging this guy who was about 300 pounds. A football player at the University of Georgia, boldly challenging him because he had come to our Bible study several times, and then he was he was getting in, involved in our discipleship groups, and then he just kind of went like this off the off the path, and he wasn't he wasn't connecting with the Lord anymore. And I was telling, and I'm about all of five foot seven, you know, about 140 pounds, you know. This guy's probably like you know six foot four, three hundred pound defensive lineman, and. And I'm challenging myself, man. You got to get your, your life right with God. You can't just allow the devil to take you out. You have all these options. You got to get right with God. You need to come on, brother. You need to get back to the Bible study and get, get yourself back in discipleship. And he said, "Oh man, I know, I know." And I mean, he's like, "I know." I'm the little freshman kid, just whatever. I don't even. I'm just, I've been saved six months, and I remember this leader pulled me aside. He said, "Hey, listen, come here." He says, "I think you're a little intense." Me intense? (laughs) No. He said, "I think you're a little intense." He goes, "Let me tell you something." He goes, "You need to settle down a little bit because if you don't settle down, you'll burn out in your Christianity." That's all I needed to hear. Because when he said you need to settle down, I was like, "Oh, really? Settle down, huh?" I'll show him, I'll show him what settled down looks like. And it just, it just has been this thing that's in, been in my heart. Because to me, that for me to settle down, when, I got, when I'd gotten saved, got recognition that Jesus loved me, saved me, delivered me from drugs and lifestyle destruction, settling down meant not giving Jesus everything. Because I had given the devil everything. And he told me to settle down. You know what? Him telling me to settle down gave me permission to not settle down. To be radical. And and here's what I feel like people need. They need permission to be radical, not just for the moment, for the long haul. And it's been a continual prayer of mine for 25 years. Lord, I want to burn for you continuously. I want to be completely passionate and hungry for you. Long haul. I, I, I. I'm pained over the fact that we tell people to settle down. Don't settle down. Don't settle down. Get full of the fire and the love of God. Let the love of God compel you. Let it compel you into 50 years of persevering faith that continues in grace until glory comes. Amen? Perseverance, faith. I just wrote my own little definition for faith that we don't need to teach on faith right now, but believing without seeing unto believing and seeing. Believing without seeing unto believing and seeing. Sometimes people say, well, I'm just believing God, and they don't don't ever intend to actually apprehend what they're believing for. They don't actually intend to actually get what they're believing for. No, I'm believing, and I'm believing that I'm going to see what I'm believing. Amen? That's... Come on, we're, done, we're not leaving it just like out there somewhere sometime. Let's believe unto seeing what we believe. Amen. And then he, he, he commends endurance. Endurance. And endurance. Again, these dictionary definitions, I was like, man, the Lord wrote these. The power of withstanding an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. The power of withstanding an unpleasant or difficult process or situation without giving way. Endurance. You have need of endurance so that you can receive the the, the blessing of, of the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. We all have need of endurance and perseverance. So these are the things that Paul is commending, but let me emphasize this point. I wanted to teach through this passage Because we see where Paul is going. He's excited for the Thessalonians. He's commending them. He's encouraging their perseverance. He's encouraging their endurance. He's saying you've got big love. You've got big faith. Undoubtedly, it's because of everything they've been going through. But then he says this interesting thing, verse five. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you'll be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. This is a plain indication. I think another version says a manifest evidence. A plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. I'll just tell you, most of the time when we see the word judgment, we think something negative. God sort of doing something negative to somebody. And so it's odd, I think, for a lot of believers reading through that passage when they say, well, Paul is commending them. They're going through sufferings. He's commending them for going through afflictions. And then Paul goes on to say, and it's because God's judging you. And you kind of go, ouch. So God is kind of hitting me? And that's what I'm going through here? Ugh. But, beloved, our lens of the way we think about judgment and Paul's lens and what Paul was saying are two different things. We tend to think, again, judgment negative. Paul wasn't saying it that way. Here's why. This word for judgment, it simply means a decision, a decree. God makes decisions. God makes decrees. They are his Judgments. They don't have a specifically negative or positive deal on them. They are his judgments. They're righteous and true altogether. God's judgments, his decrees, his decisions. Another way to say God's judgments is to say his leadership. His leadership. So what Paul is saying here is this the fact that you're enduring through persecution persecutions and afflictions, the fact that you're enduring through these things, and it's causing your love and your faith to grow, he goes, it's evidence of God's righteous, or you could say his good leadership in your life. God's righteous judgment, his good leadership, and here's why, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, of which indeed you are suffering, this is a huge game changing concept. Here's why. Most people see someone who's suffering, uh, at least the Christians in the West, we tend to look at the guy that's, you know, suffering, going through afflictions and challenges, and we go, ah, he must have gotten off somewhere. In fact, I've heard that preached tons. If you're serving God, you're going to be blessed. If you get off, you won't be blessed. Well, I do believe that, but Jesus actually said persecution is a blessing in Matthew 5. Whoop, That changes it a little bit. But the mentality is this. If you serve God, everything will go good and nothing bad will happen to you. But if you don't serve God, then bad things will happen. But Paul's concept is this. If you're serving God and you're wanting to grow in faith and you're wanting to to grow in love, God, because he's a good leader, God's good leadership in your life will be manifest sometimes by bringing you into sufferings, persecutions, and afflictions. And here's why. Because in those your heart is purified, your faith is strengthened, your love for one another grows, and you end up coming out of it with a walk that's worthy of the Lord. What Paul is saying is this, the fact that you're going through something isn't an indicator that God is hitting you negatively or that you've gotten off path. Hear me right now. The fact that you're going through something is evidence that God is leading you because he's qualifying you to make you worthy of the kingdom of God. Man, that's a good... Oh, thank you, Lord. That is so good. Here's why. Now you can reapproach the challenges, the afflictions, the persecutions the trials, the tribulations, all the different stuff you've gone through in life. And, and with this biblical principle, put that lens on the trial. And it redefines it for you. What am I saying? I'm saying a bunch of us have gone through stuff And you went through that stuff, not because God took his hands off you or because God was hitting you. You went through that stuff because God wanted to allow the fire to come to purify the gold of your heart, to make your life one that's worthy of the kingdom. Here's what I'm saying. We've got all sorts of stuff in our hearts, all sorts of things, mentalities, challenges, sins, issues, whatever you want to call them. Sometimes it's only through the pressing. Sometimes it's only through the fire that those things get purified. And so God leads us into and through trials, tribulations, persecutions, and afflictions. Why? Why? So that we would have a walk that's worthy. He says, so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. Another way to say worthy of the kingdom is, is this to say, comparable to Jesus. I had a young man talking to me the other day, he said, I'm trying to plan what the next few years of my life looks like, and I'm and I'm looking at, you know, trying to prepare myself to be a good husband and uh, a good father. I said, man, that's awesome. He goes, what do you think God thinks about that? I said, I think God loves that. That's awesome. Because he is thinking about those things to prepare you to be a good bride. He what? I go, right. Yeah, he is gonna make you, he's gonna have you be a father and have you be a husband because he's gonna put you in the crucible of marriage and parenting to purify your heart, to make you a good bride. He went, yeah, but I'm just trying to be a good father. I go, I know, God's just trying to make you a good bride. I go, God's always looking at that time when he joins you with his son, when he takes you through what's going on in this time. Oh, beloved, I know Some of you guys, I know your story. I know it's challenging. I know it's so difficult. I've been through a thing or two myself. I know it's hard. But get the lens that God wants us to have, that he's actually allowing us to go through the furnace to make us a comparable partner worthy of the Lord, a comparable partner for his son, so that you would be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which indeed you are suffering. He goes, this is why you're suffering. This is why you go through sufferings in this life. Let me give you a few more supporting ideas on this. John 16. This is one, and I'll just throw this out there. This is one that people love to never quote. This is one they love to not quote. John 16, Jesus at the end of his life, he's got John 14 through 17, he's giving the gushings of his heart, the most important stuff, he's getting ready to be crucified and here's what he says, John 16 verse 33, the last verse of the chapter, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. He's gonna contrast it now. In the world you will have tribulation but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Is Jesus saying, be of good cheer because the tribulations of the world haven't touched me? Is that what he's saying? Is he saying, be of good cheer because I've never been persecuted. I've never gone through anything hard. He's He's getting ready to be arrested and beaten and crucified. And his whole life... I mean, his whole ministry life, they've been calling him the devil, planning on how to crucify him, talk all sorts of negative persecution stuff, all sorts of challenges. Is he saying, be of good cheer, because I don't, I'm not ever been touched by the tribulations of this world? No. He's saying, in me, you will have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Stay in me, and you'll have peace through the tribulations of this world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome it. I've come through it. How? Because I stayed in relationship with my father. I've had peace with my father. Stay in me. You'll have peace through the tribulations of this life. Now, fast forward. Turn over to 1 John. Same author. In John 16, he's writing Jesus' words. But in 1 John 5, he's actually writing an epistle. And here's what he says. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I've heard this verse used to say, See, you don't ever have to, oh, you don't have to ever go through, go through anything bad in the world. Just believe God and he'll always make everything just rosy for you. That's not what John was saying. John was saying... Overcoming the world is having faith in Jesus that in the world, though you have tribulation, you'll have peace and you'll be able to persevere through all the trials, through all the challenges. John knew that in the world you have tribulation, but he goes, the victory is this. We have faith in Jesus and he carries us through all the trials of this life. Come on. When Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation, It was kind of like saying, In the pool, you will have water. In the pool, you will have water. Be of good cheer. I float. That's what he's saying. That's exactly what he's saying. I float. Have faith in me. In other words, stay attached to me, and you'll float too. It's that simple. In the pool, there will be water. You know what that means? Sometimes you get wet. Sometimes you're in Jesus and he's the raft and you're like on top of the raft like, I don't even feel the water. Sometimes you're like, got the lips just above the, the water's up to here. Your lips are, you got the straw coming out of the mouth. You're still breathing, but man, it feels like the water's everywhere. This is the victory that overcomes it, beloved. Hanging on to Jesus. Persevering. Hanging on to Jesus. Some people look at, in the church they look at people that maybe they've gone through a lot and they go, that guy had more faith. And I go, are you kidding? Look at his life. He's gone through all that and he still loves Jesus. Who's got faith like that? Let's see how your faith would measure up if you'd gone through all the garbage that 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 one went through. Because the fact that he still loves Jesus after all that, that's great faith. He hung on to Jesus. Amen, sister. Come on. I'm feeling it. He hung on. He's got faith. He's overcoming. I know it looks like he's hanging on by a thread, but he is hanging on. Persevering continuing in a state of grace until you you get in that state of glory. Man, this is so important for us. I want you to go back through your life. I want you to get in a time of prayer. When you leave this place today, tomorrow, and I want you to think through the trials, the challenges, the difficulties of your life. And I want you to redefine them with a lens That says this, it's manifest evidence of the good leadership of God that you went through that. Why? Because he's making you worthy for the kingdom. Don't play the blame game. Don't play the I'm wounded, I'm the victim, look at this and the devil. No! He's bringing you through this. Because he's making you comparable to his son. Love it, this is real stuff. You want a worthy walk? I promise you, I promise you, you will have to go through some stuff. I don't want to go through stuff, but I want a worthy walk. I don't go trying to find the stuff. The stuff finds me. Here's the deal if you're serving Jesus, the stuff will find you too, and you know that. Don't be freaked out when the stuff finds you. That's exactly what Peter said. 1 Peter 4, it'll come up on your screens. I'm circling the airport. Verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Now look, I am not for one half second telling you in the midst of some kind of I mean horrifying calamity in your life that you're supposed to just throw your hands up, start running around your house charismatic kicking, acting like it's not even real. Charismatic kick. <laughs> what I'm what me and what I think Peter are saying is this: don't be shocked when the stuff finds you, and when it does. Dial down, inside, remember the cross. Dial down on the inside and remember Jesus, God in the flesh, being beaten senseless with his face ripped out and his back ripped off because of love. Remember the sufferings of Christ. And then, through that, I mean that mountain of grace, Rejoice that you have been counted worthy to suffer with him. This is not the sort of, you know, Christian denial thing. We kind of get into this, gotta confess yourself out of it. Look, no, he's saying, dial in to the truth that Christ suffered and rejoice that you are suffering with him. And listen, I'm not abdicate, or, uh, uh, advocating Advocating being a punching bag for the devil. Look, I rebuke the devil with the best of them. Get behind me, Satan. I do all that. But you know what? Sometimes it's get behind me, Satan, and I'm hanging on to the cross. I'm rejoicing that I'm going through the suffering and I'm fighting like this. And that's just how you do sometimes. It doesn't have to be either or. It's It's both. He says, rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. Watch this. That when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He's saying, because your heart is going to be cultivated to the place, you're going to be conformed to the image of Jesus. And you will rejoice in that day when you see the journey he's brought you through, when you see all the ingredients that he allowed in your heart and in your life, all these things he allowed that brought you to this place of maturity and love and confidence, man, when Jesus is revealed and you recognize it was all for my good to make me worthy of the Lord, you will rejoice. Two more verses. That same chapter in verse 1, 1 Peter 4, verse 1. Here's what he says. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. We love to teach Jesus suffered so you don't have to. That's what we love to teach in America. But the biblical teaching is Jesus suffered so you will have grace to. Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind. Why? Why would you allow your beloved children, your beloved bride to go through suffering? Here's why. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. He's cultivating your heart. He's purifying you in righteousness. He's allowing fire to come on the gold of who you are and purifying you, beloved. That's what this thing is about. That's what the fiery trial is about. For he who suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin that he no longer, here, here it is, should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men. But for the will of God. You go through trials so you grow in faith so you no longer live seeking your own desires but seeking God's. The purifying of your heart through trials, beloved, it causes you to get rid of going after all those little personal lusts and, and, and those little uh, de, you know, ungodly desires. He goes, man, if you go through the fire, hang on to Jesus, arm your mind, get ready for this thing, that you're going to go through this and you're going to hang on to Jesus. When you come out the other end, you're going to have a less of a desire for sin. You have more of a desire for him. You won't want your will. You'll want his. Because you'll look back and say, Your leadership's been awesome. Your leadership has been awesome. Last verse. It's like you're hearing me right now, and you might be going, Well, Billy, you're just making it sound like there's no victory for the for the believer in this age. No, I, I believe there's all sorts of victories. But I just think of a victory as different. I think of the guy that goes through that incredibly horrific trauma and comes out loving Jesus. That's as much as of a victory as anything. That's what he said the victory is. Sometimes the thing misses you and you celebrate. See, we love to tell the story about driving down the the, the highway, and man, everybody else got in a car wreck, but I didn't, praise God, he delivered me. What about the guy that's driving down the highway, gets in the car wrecked, maybe he's in the hospital for three months, and then walks out and goes, thank you, Jesus, you sustained me. When does it end? When does it end? When do sufferings end? Come on, there's got to be a way, place, time when you get through in this in this age where you just go, you know what? I'm through. I don't have to go through anything any more stuff. I don't have to. I'm I'm I'm, I've got this. You know, we just get a little arrogant like that. I've gone through enough. I don't have to go through anything else. Well, that's not real. That's not true. God in the flesh died naked on a cross in front of humanity after being bludgeoned mercilessly by the Roman cohort? What's your threshold? Well, when does it end? There are blessings. I mean, there are times you go through, you're just, oh, it feel so good. Sometimes you go through, it's rough. When does it end? Second Thessalonians 1. Right in that same conversation, when Paul says, you're being, you're being uh, crafted to walk worthy of the Lord. He says this, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. He goes, you don't worry about getting anybody back because God's got that point handled. And don't go threatening people. Well, you know, Somebody does you wrong, don't go, well, my God is my vindicator. You better watch out. Don't stop. You don't know what spirit you're of. Since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest. When, Lord, when? When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. Whoop! Did you just say when Jesus comes back? Yep. You mean I gotta go through this till Jesus? Yep. That's this life. This life is behind the veil. This life is behind a glass. This life is in time. This life is in a fallen world. In the pool, you will have water. This life is in the pool. But when Jesus comes, he'll give you rest, those who've been troubled. He brings a towel, praise God. Tries you off. (laughs) He takes care of it. Because there's an age coming when we're going to live with Jesus on the earth. A thousand years with Jesus ruling and reigning. No sickness. No demons. Come on. Glory of the Lord covering the earth as the water covers the sea. That's where we're heading, beloved. You're going to a wedding. Do you understand this? You're going to a wedding. If you're not at the wedding, the story's not over. you got to hear that. If you're not at the wedding, the story isn't over. He's bringing you through to make you like him. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. He'll give you rest when he comes. He brings us through in this age, and when he comes... He gives us rest. Amen. Let's stand. Somebody might say, well, I went through a lot more than anybody else I know. Well, one of two things. Either you needed more work or He's storing something up for you, beloved. Hang on through the dark night. Because when he's revealed, every man's works will be revealed also. And that righteousness of hanging on through the storm, through the trial, through the valley, it will be revealed. And you will be rewarded for your faithfulness. Some people suffer disproportionately to others. But I promise you, they will get a disproportionate reward. I promise you. That's what the scripture teaches. Just ask the Lord to come speak to us. Lord, right now. Right now. I pray you'd help us to redefine the challenges of this life. Through the truth of the word. We would see it, Jesus. Through the persecutions, the afflictions, the tribulations, the entire time you were cultivating our heart, you were bringing us through the attack of the enemy. You were bringing us through the fiery furnace. Just like Daniel. God, you didn't throw him in there, but you brought him through it. You allow these things to cultivate the soil of our heart. We would have a walk worthy of the Lord, and Lord, that's it. That's what I want. I want to walk worthy of you. Lord, I ask for our community that we'd see your good leadership, the righteous judgment of God in allowing us to go through these things. So we have a walk worthy. Come, Holy Spirit, just speak to us right now. Speak to us right now. Holy Spirit.